morning, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Kofefi. Today is Tuesday, June 18th. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith herself. Good morning, Carter Laren. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You're discombobulated this morning. I am. I had some computer issues this morning. Carrie, have you paid attention to what's going on in Hong Kong at all right now? I haven't been. I'm sorry. Okay. So that's okay. It's far away. This is a picture of Hong Kong protests over the weekend. Those little grainy things are people. Wow. That's a lot of... Also, yeah. also, that's an amazing photo. Go back to that for a second. Uh, sure. It looks like a piece of art. It looks like a transformer. It is an amazing photo, right? Amazing photo. So this is what Hong Kong is like. It's all skyscrapers. So they're, I'm sure they're up in a tower somewhere. Looking down, taking this picture. Pretty cool picture. Now, roughly, I'm not kidding about this. Roughly 25% of the population protested over the weekend. Wow. 25% of the population. That's incredible to me. Maybe everyone else thinks it's normal. And they're, they're protesting over this extradition law. They're protesting um, the leadership in Hong Kong proposed a law that will allow mainstream mainland China to extradite criminals from Hong Kong. Now, this is particularly a problem because many families fled to Hong Kong uh, to escape China. I'm sure there's a lot of financial criminals in Hong Kong. And by criminal, I just mean people who broke the law, not bad people, but people who China considers bad, you know, mainland China. And so these were 25% of the population. Uh, the guy, the, the, the bill's been withdrawn. Carrie Lam, the leader said, I offer my most sincere apology, apology to all people of Hong Kong. They've withdrawn the, <laughs> the bill. So the protest worked. But it's crazy. Here, here, here's another picture, Carrie. This is not as beautiful, but I mean, we think we protest in the US. Look at that. Wow. Crazy. It's crazy. So why am I bringing up Hong Kong? What does that have to do with anything? <sighs> well, Hong Kong, I think, is a great example. A lot of people, I think, don't know Hong Kong. They just, like, what do you know about Hong Kong? What do you think of when you think of Hong Kong? Uh, you're not going to want to ask me. I think of I think of like uh, just personal memories. Like my dad's trip there when I was a kid, and he brought back like a little souvenir for me. And you know, I, I think of uh, goods. You think of goods. Yes. Okay. So I found this article, and this guy I give this guy credit, but he only says his first name is Bruce. Well, let me see what his last name is. It's Bruce Bruce on politics. He does an interesting, this was a few years ago, he did an interesting comparison. And I think it's worth sharing this comparison before we talk about what you can do and what solutions are to some of the problems that we talk about. The comparison he does is Cuba to capital, Cuba, Cuba to Hong Kong. He compares socialism to, uh, to capitalism, relative capitalism. So let's just, I'm gonna just walk through some things, some points he makes here. 
In fact, I'll put it up on the screen so people can follow along if they want. So he defines capitalism, socialism. We're not going to do that, although we probably should more often. So what he does is he's going to start with Cuba and he's going to say, let's take a look at what assets Cuba has. Cuba has 11 million well-educated people, literacy and uh, numeracy rate better than Britain's, number five in the UN Education Index. This is what they had to start with, okay? Uh, incredibly verdant and productive agriculture. They've got um, minerals, nickel and cobalt that can be mined, 5.5 million tons of nickel waiting to be mined, which is 7% of the world's total. They've got oil. It's got known reserves of 20 billion barrels, which is one of the top 20 reserves in the world. And there's, there's tourism people, you know, Cuba's beautiful. Contrast that to Hong Kong, um, 7 million educated people, number 87 in the UN Education Index, a great harbor, nothing else. That's what I had. So that's the starting point. Okay. Now, Cuba was capitalist until 1959 when Castro took over. So when he took over, so when, when, when your beloved socialism, when beloved Che, when the, the origin of those t-shirts, the origin of those beloved t-shirts, uh, they took over a country where 80% of the land mass was under the cultivation or use for grazing. They were second only to Brazil in exporting large, uh, sorry, agricultural products to the US. So a big exporter of agriculture. Their per capita income was $378, fourth in Latin America. Spain was 342 and Portugal were 212, which were both lower. So doing better than Spain and Portugal, not bad. And fourth in Latin America. The share of national income paid to workers was 65%. Only Great Britain, the United States, and Canada were higher. That's what, that's what Castro took over. That's what Che killed people to fix. Wow. Okay. okay. Now let's look at Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Now, I don't know if you remember, after World War II, they were ceded to the British. So uh, after World War II, they had a population of only 600,000 during the 1950s. And then there was a bunch of refugees from China, about 100,000 a month. So... Not a great place. It, it, finally, the population exceeded 3 million, mostly living in shanty towns. They had nothing at all. They, the, so with nothing for all these people to do, the British colonial masters started manufacturing projects to make simple, low-cost items like buttons, plastic items, umbrellas, and artificial flowers. So not really, not a lot going on for Hong Kong. So what happened? Well, Hong Kong wasn't, I'm not going to, we won't get into the details, but Hong Kong wasn't, you know, pure 100% unadulterated anarcho-capitalism, but it was pretty libertarian. I mean, if you want to look at what libertarians want, Hong Kong is pretty close. Um, we all know what Cuba was. So how things are in today, this is articles from 2014. So today, Hong Kong, the economic freedom, freedom score is 90.1, making it the top-rated economy in the index for the 20th consecutive year. The small country has the world's eighth largest trading economy. The GDP is 53,203 um, per, per person, rating the country the ninth, ninth richest country per capita in the world. 124,000 millionaires, calculated, which it calculates excluding their primary residents, so not counting people who have homes worth a million dollars. Um, the number of millionaires is growing at 27% per year, the highest growth of millionaires in the world. It's number 15 on the World Corruption Index with a score of 75, which is good. A basic income tax rate of 2%, top rate of 
on income over 120,000 Hong Kong dollars. So mm, 17 is not great. Relatively low taxes though. That's where Hong Kong is. And Hong Kong is a, I mean, it's the financial capital of Asia. It's, it's the place to be. Cuba, economic freedom score 28.7, making its economy one of the worst and least, world's least free. Uh, per capita GDP, 18,796, ranking it the 60th in the world, which is compared to 53,000. Hong Kong is more than double Cuba. The, me, the main, main millionaire on Cuba is Fidel Castro, which a fortune of $900 million stolen from the people. It's number 63 on the World Corruption Index with a score of 46. So that is, I won't keep this article up. We're not, the purpose of the show is not to read articles from 2014. That is the difference between capitalism and socialism. And when I say capitalism, what I mean is uh, leave the people the fuck alone-ism. What I mean by capitalism is just leave people alone. Stop telling them how they have to charge, what they have to stop passing a bunch of regulations, stop taxing them. Capitalism is leaving people alone. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's leaving people alone. Libertarianism is like, you know, small government. So mostly leaving people alone. So those are our choices. And we're in a society right now in which capitalism is vilified. Carrie, I mentioned to you the other day, I actually changed my Twitter profile from saying anarcho-capitalist to voluntarist. Yes. Because they mean exactly the same thing. But even you were like, oh yeah, voluntarist. That sounds good. Voluntary. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Capitalism. Capitalism sounds bad, 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 bad. Capitalism, bad. <laughs> um, so we, we live in a culture that doesn't know what capitalism is, first of all. They think that capitalism is cronyism and all this crap we have going on with big banks and blah, blah, blah. That's not, we don't live, you know, we don't live in, in capitalism. Uh, but pretty close to pure capitalism, not pure, but pretty close to capitalism has been tried. It's been tried in the U.S. early on with massive success. It was tried in Hong Kong, massive success. Even communist China, where they want economic success, you know, they draw borders around little zones in their country and free up the markets, right? Even the communists understand that freedom is helpful. So, and that's just from a practical perspective, you know, not to mention the, the moral stuff. No, I have some questions. This is going to make me look really dumb. So you might want to edit this out or just leave it in here so people don't feel as dumb as me. One big thing that I think is missing from your summary is the reasons why you think this happened in Cuba and China, because China's communist. Well, this like, isn't what? Hong Kong wasn't China. Hong Kong Hong was Kong. British. Is Hong it? Kong, it was British until 1998, 99, 97. Wow. I'm retarded. Yeah. So Hong I, Kong is not British. It's a great quest. That's a great question, Carrie. <laughs> uh, Hong Kong was ceded to the Brits uh, after the war. And the Brits basically uh, did a laissez-faire hands-off experiment in Hong Kong of capitalism. And they were like, let's just put like a governor, or I don't know what they call them, just put someone there, have some kind of like skeleton laws, we'll just make it free market capitalism. Um, So Hong Kong uh, was one of the freest, I mean, at the time, probably was the freest 
country capitalism, the most close to capitalism as possible um, for decades. And so that's what built Hong Kong. And then uh, in a treaty, so I think, I don't, I think it was 98, I can look it up. Here, I'll look it up. The handover of Hong Kong, uh, let's see, in 1997. Oh, well, I had better things to do then. I was learning about women's studies and women's oppression. This is yeah. why I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, look, leave this in because then people, if they know how dumb I am about this, maybe they won't feel bad if they don't know. I, well, I didn't know. I'd... Yeah, so Hong, Kong, so Hong Kong was run by the British and it was, and it was uh, thankfully largely ignored by the British. It was, uh, it was like, hey, let's just, here's, a, here's some skeleton capitalism like very, very few laws just go, go do your thing. We don't, we don't care. Um, so it was pretty free. And uh, as a result of that freedom, Hong Kong, and, and what's interesting is at the, it's at the same time, roughly the same time during which Cuba, that's why I compared Cuba to Hong Kong. During roughly the same time, these two small islands, one with a lot of resources and one with none, uh, one starting out pretty well, one starting out shitty, both of them had sort of a, a big political change in control. One was taken over by the British and basically left alone. And the other one was taken over by your favorite t-shirt icon, Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. And over the intervening decades, you can see the difference between the two countries, what happened. And, and so, yeah, Hong Kong, China was itching to get Hong Kong back in 97 because uh, Hong Kong was... <laughs> Hong Kong's a gem. Uh, it was no longer a piece of crap island. It was, and still is, the financial capital of Asia. So, wow. okay. And China has taken it over, but China has not taken it over. Uh, it's not complete. It's tried to integrate. It's tried to have two separate kind of systems, both Chinese. So that's why, that's why there are these protests about extradition, because right now, mainland China can't extradite you from Hong Kong. Um, so okay. these people who fled China and like, also uh, Hong Kong has been for a while, for years, Hong Kong's been the route through which people smuggle money out of China. Because um, all you have to do is swim across the channel or whatever it is. Like it's not, it's right across the bridge. So... You, if you can get to Hong Kong, you can get your assets to Hong Kong, you're scot-free and have been. And of course, China has very strict capital controls, like all communist countries. And so anyone trying to get assets out of China has, has gone through Hong Kong. And a lot of people went to Hong Kong and just settled and built their careers and built successful businesses in Hong Kong because it was free and they were free to do that. So that's the answer to your question. I think it was a good question. And <laughs> if you don't know it, probably a lot of people. Oh my gosh, I don't know that. Yeah. People have asked about solutions. People, a few people have, few of, our, few of our subscribers have said, oh, speaking of subscribers, subscribe to us <laughs> on YouTube. I'm supposed to do this thing where we push the show. Subscribe on YouTube, please, please. And you can go to Subscribestar if you want to support us. Anyway, a few people have come and said, uh, hey, you guys talk about problems. You're really good at pointing out problems. Can you, can you talk about solutions? And uh, the answer is yes, we can talk about solutions. You won't like them. <laughs>
but we can talk about them. So then what's your answer for the solutions How, in a quick one sentence? Why is, what's that related to that? Here's the problem. We need a culture that wants capitalism. So this is, this is the, the part of politics being downstream from culture means you can't just vote what you want. Even if you win, you will lose because if culture doesn't support what you voted for, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So you can't just vote your way to success. You need to change the culture. And if you want to have a culture of prosperity, if you want to have a system that's relatively capitalistic, you want a smaller government, you want the government to leave you alone, you want the social justice workers to go away, you want to respect individual rights, free speech, private property, um, you want to have innocence until proven guilty, you want to have all of the things that you think America stands for, you need to change yourself and the people around you and the culture. And you need, to, you need to get off your ass. I think what's happened is we've become lazy. We've become lazy and apathetic and we go home and we watch Netflix and we wait for some candidate to run that we can vote for that we think is like, oh, so-and-so will fix it. I mean, look at the Trump people. Well, don't you think part of this is, is the result of capitalism that we've become so lazy because we get on our iPhones and we watch yeah, Netflix? Yeah, that's a separate issue. It, okay. may, it may in fact be, we, this may be a, the consequence of our own success to some extent. Yes. Uh, I will say if it was actual capitalism, right? If, if you wouldn't have public education, you wouldn't have a welfare state, you wouldn't have corporate welfare, it would be, you'd probably have more incentive to be doing, not, not get so fat and lazy, but still, yes, there, there's always like the chance of losing your vigilance because things get too easy. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't give up. Okay, so we're fat and we're out of shape and we come home and watch Netflix and we, and I mean that literally and figuratively, but we as a culture, you know, we bitch about shit online and we say, who should we vote for? Who cares who you vote for? I mean... I care, kind of, but that's not how you're going to change things. What you have to do is return to, so fundamentally, capitalism, and I'll just say, I'll use the word freedom. Fundamentally, freedom comes with responsibility. There was this term, I, I don't know if you remember, if you remember this from history. Do you remember the term rugged individualism, Carrie? Yes, I, I do remember this. <laughs> you do? Yes. The term sounds great. It doesn't actually, it wasn't really used in the way that I'd like to use it now. But the, the idea, what we think of when we think of rugged individualism is this idea that you're free, but, you've, but you're responsible for yourself. And we've gotten to the point where we want to be free, but we don't want to be responsible for anything. And let me give you some easy examples. You don't like being in social justice culture, but you don't want to be responsible to have to argue with anyone and have uncomfortable conversations in your life. You, you really wish schools wouldn't teach your kids this stuff, but you leave your kids in the school because, gee, it's a pain in the ass to homeschool or do anything more. You really don't like the stuff that the university is doing, but 
gee, you really like that sports team and it's nice to get the tax write-off so you donate to them every year. Or you tell your kid, yes, you should go to school, you should go to college even though you want to major in English or something that doesn't require going to university. Instead of having the hard conversation about what do you want to do with your life and how can we get you there in a different path? A lot of people will say, yeah, I want to, I want to, I'll vote against a lot of these handouts that other people get. But the minute you threaten my handout, well, I, no, that's a good one, right? Republicans are great for this with their stupid farm subsidies, right? Welfare is bad. What about farm subsidies? Good. Well, so welfare for farmers is good, but welfare for people in the inner city is bad. They're the same thing. You have to get, if you want things to change, this is my ultimate message. If you want things to change, you have to get uncomfortable. You have to speak up. You got to risk getting fired from your job. You have to risk getting ostracized from your friends. You got to risk getting ostracized from your family. You have to be uncomfortable. And until we're uncomfortable, nothing will change. Nothing will change. We'll bitch, we'll moan, and we'll go back to the couch and watch another series of, you know, season of Game of Thrones or whatever the hell's on now. My answer is pretty similar then, actually. Because what okay. I was thinking before you went into all of this could also be called a change in culture before politics, if you were to look at it broadly. Because the things I was thinking of, okay, the solutions, yeah, they're not easy, quick fix solutions. No, they're a change in the way you live every day because you can change yourself. You yeah, can change one person. That, that's why I like your rugged, if you're using rugged individualism in a, in a different way, it could be used. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. It's an individual thing that you have to do. So my, my answers would be, I mean, this is just what I want to do personally. <laughs> and I'm just citing late in life. <laughs> but I want to, I want to, like, I want to homestead eventually. I want to have a place that's kind of out, out of the way um, in the woods or the mountains. I want to have, I want to grow my own veg. My grandparents grew all of their own food, like all of their own food. Um, my grandma canned, she had enough. She's, there's still enough. They're still cleaning out my grandparents' house. She had enough to feed, <laughs> feed several generations. <laughs> that are, of, uh, anyway, Anyway, I want to I want to do more like the the of the skills. I want to learn more of the skills that I should have le learned from my grandmother when I was younger. Um, yeah. And I I think the most important thing people can do. Um, I've said this before, maybe not on this podcast, but on a I know I said it when I was guesting on another one. Is I think people can have kids and raise those kids right, and and raise them to be healthy and well adjusted and raise them to be a little, um, <laughs> like, like, uh, inoculate them, inoculate them so that they're not susceptible to this virus. And, yeah. and I think, um, you're not going to like this answer. <laughs> should have been my first answer is Jesus, but that you don't, you don't have to go down that route if you don't want, that's just my, my suggestion. I would be remiss if I didn't say that because I think, you know, that's what's, that's my personal belief. So but, uh, but you can, you yeah. can, if that, if you feel, oh, don't, don't let that cause you to write everything else I'm saying off. Um, <laughs> but I do think some type of people try to fill, people try to fill spiritual voids with politics and 
I think that that's, there's a good David Brooks quote uh, that I think of a lot that I'll probably mangle, but uh, he, it was something like people that's people that try to fill spiritual and emotional voids with politics ended up fanatics, which is exactly what I think has happened. That's what SJWs are. They're friggin' fanatics because it's, they're trying to fill this void with something that doesn't fit. That's like the wrong thing for what they're looking for. And um, I think people need like the great thing about, um, like religion itself, I'm not talking about a belief in God. Let's just talk about religion. Let's talk about the practice of your belief. The great thing about a practice of your belief is that you have a community. It naturally lends itself towards you being part of a bigger community. And it's harder to isolate yourself in the way that we do nowadays where you're just like connected online and that's it. Um, and it's also a natural springboard for you being involved in, in your community. And uh, it's, I think there's a lot of positive benefits to being part of a faith community, like outside of your relationship with your creator. So that's me personally speaking. Yeah, where, I would, where I would agree with you is I, I think purpose and meaning are very important. Um, I think they should be self-chosen, um, but purpose and meaning are important. Uh, I would support, I would love for there to be like secular versions of a church at least the church community, uh, atheists are notoriously not good at that. <laughs> um, and, and frankly, partly because atheism isn't a thing. Atheism is just not a thing, right? Atheism is just not belief in a God. It doesn't say what you believe in. So atheists mostly just disagree about a bunch of stuff. They, they don't, it's hard to form an atheist community unless it's just in like, let's all get together and hate on theists. Like that's not a, that's not very motivating and it's not, not a, it's not a purpose. It's not a, it's not a valuable purpose. So, you know, I, I think you've seen like, a, you see a little bit of the objectivist community tries to build a community, but they're scattered and they're not, you know, you, you don't, you don't get that. Is that. What I will say is um, I don't, I agree with you about the homesteading. I think it's great. You shouldn't have to learn how to pickle your own food and can your own food. You shouldn't have to. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to romanticize an earlier era where we have to grow our own food and milk cows and can vegetables. Like we shouldn't have to do that. We should be able to go to Safeway and buy canned vegetables or fresh vegetables or whatever. That's the beauty of, of living in capitalism. However, we are not on a trajectory where this is continuing. I don't know when, but it's not, it's not continuing this way. This is not, we're not, this is not staying this way. So the reason to homestead is because you may have some hardship. You need to prepare yourself for discomfort, not just emotionally, but physically. And I don't know what things are going to look like, and I don't know when they're going to happen. But Carrie, look, the worst case is, Things just keep going in social justice. We slide directly into socialism. And before you know it, we're in some, you know, socialist authoritarian, you know, all everyone's given up their guns because they didn't want to didn't want to put up a stink or whatever it was. And we you know we've got we're living in Brave New World or whatever it is. And it could go that way. It could absolutely go that way. If it doesn't go that way, it's what's not going to happen. I don't think, I think it's almost guaranteed what's not going to happen. What's not going to happen is the entire country is not going to shift to 
small government laissez-faire anti-authoritarianism. The whole country is not going to shift that way. It's just not. There's too many people in charge in positions of power all around the country, especially on the coasts, that, that want authoritarianism. There's too many. So the best thing that we can get is that some of us, at some point, separate ourselves. Like that's the best, the best outcome is that somehow we get separated and we get left alone somehow. I don't know where that is. I don't know how that is. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not saying it's a bloody revolution thing. I'm just saying somehow that happens. You mean if in this, uh, in this future scenario where or if we, the country tilts towards authoritarianism, that's what you're saying? I'm saying the, no, I'm saying the only possible good outcome is that. That's what you think, that's the only possible? Yes, the, the outcome, you're living in a, it's a fantasy to think that the entire country is going to turn back to small government. Wow, okay, you, you have. It is not pes- happening. You're more pessimistic than I am. I didn't realize that. It's, I, look, I'm trying to be realistic. Okay, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm just saying, I, I didn't I, know I you. That happen. It's just, I mean, it's, I don't see a path whereby things are deteriorating too quickly for, like I could say, we could say raise kids and change future generations. But even if everyone did that tomorrow, you know, if y'all turned this off right now and started getting busy and raising and conceiving and raising kids, it would be 50 years before anything even started to change really. And it's, that'll be too late. It'll be too late. So I, I don't, I, maybe someone in the audience can show me a path forward that's not this, but I don't see any path forward that involves the entire country. Interesting. Unless it's an authoritarian, we all, we all die path. Like not die, but we all, we all get part of the, you know, AOC runs the place and whatever it is. Like that's, that's the path where we all stick together. Well, let me present a different alternative. <laughs> This is just my, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you. That's the only possible outcome. I I think, um, and maybe I'm naive, but so allow, like I have a, just let me present, I have a more, I guess, positive. I think there's a variety of different possible outcomes. Um, and I could be naive about that, but, uh, to back up a minute about the homesteading thing, I also don't, I I didn't mean to say that, um, people, everybody needs to go off the grid completely. I just meant that like, I want to learn more of those self-sufficiency things myself. And I think people should learn, try to learn as many of those as they can, because it's helpful to have, it's helpful to be able to make food for yourself or whatever. Um, But I think that people also need to be, like you said about the point about speaking up, like, see, for me, it's just little changes. If you, if, if, if we think that we have to make big changes, it's too daunting. But if you can just be like, okay, in my everyday life, I'm going to speak up more when I see this ideology that we, you and I talk about a lot, when I see this infiltrating anywhere in my life or in my kid's life, I'm going to push back against it. Like that's a huge thing because that is daunting for a lot of people. And, um, it doesn't mean spending all day arguing on Facebook. I think that we can, well, I can get bogged down doing that sometimes. That's like not always helpful. It just means like in your day-to-day life as you go about, like whether it's at your kid's school or, or, or whatever, 
pushing back against that. Um, but then the other things I think are just, you know, it's that Jordan Peterson thing. That's why Peterson is so popular. He's not saying anything that's not sort of basic and common sense, but basic and common sense is now revolutionary in the world that we live in. It's now, I mean, that, that what he's saying is rebellious because it's like, get back to taking care of yourself and your family and like get healthy and go to the gym and, you know, make sure your body is healthy so that, and then make sure your mind is healthy and your, your spirit is healthy. And, and those things require like effort every day, just a little bit of effort every day. And so this is my sort of (laughs) just little things you can do that are not like, Oh, well we're doomed. We're all going to have to move together to a commune, which by the way, you guys can all move in with me if you want. Um, No cats. Only dogs. Okay. So, Carrie, I, I don't, I don't, I think maybe we're speaking over each other. Okay. I, that's what I said. Right. Okay. Comfortable. Have uncomfortable conversations. Do yes. Those, those are the things to do to change the world. Yes. Those, that's it. Those are the things. But they're uncomfortable things. People don't want to have those. And Frank, I wouldn't have conversations on Facebook. I know this is probably not the thing we're supposed to say since we want a lot of people online following us. But don't be on Facebook. The only reason I'm on Facebook is because of this show. I was, I would not have been, I mean, I was on before I stopped using it for years. It was just sitting there. I'm only kind of on it now because of this show. Facebook's a waste of time. Don't use Facebook. Okay. That's, I actually agree with that. Even though obviously I want our audience, people who are on there to tune in. And that's one of the ways we get the word, the word out about the show. But if, I, I think people who, if you can even just limit your amount of activity on those things. And I'm the biggest hypocrite because I'm not great at doing that myself, but I try to set like, you know, set a certain time limit if you can and say, this is the only amount of time I'm going to be on there. Like, right. But what, what I'm, what I'm talking about is not when I say confront people and argue with them or stand up to them, it's not online. Yeah. Oh yeah. I agree. People in your life, your neighbor, your family, your kid's school. And it's to do, and, and, you know, getting back to what I said, like it's the uncomfortable things that you need to do if you care are rip your kids out of school, figure out a way to educate them, or, or at least police what's going on in school very closely. It depends on obviously on your school, but most schools are going to be really bad. Um, you know, have the difficult conversations with friends and family. Don't let things slide. You need to, you need to deal with the fact that you're a friction point. You need to prevent, you need to offer the culture, the culture's moving in a direction you need to offer counter friction. You need to offer friction and counter force. You need to, you need to, and that, that's going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to like it. You're going to lose friends. You're going to get into arguments. You could lose your job if you push hard enough. You should push hard enough. You should. And, uh, and, I, and it's a big thing to ask. I'm not saying go lose your job tomorrow, but look, you need, if everyone needs to start pushing, uh, you know, a thousand paper cuts. Everyone needs to start doing paper cuts on this culture. They need to slowly and surely push back. You've be, you've just been quiet. And when you're quiet, the SJWs aren't quiet. That's one thing they've got going for them. They're not quiet. They're so loud. <laughs> and they're not quiet. Yeah. So don't be timid. Don't be quiet. You got to push back. So I think, Carrie, and- you and I are in agreement on that. Oh, we're totally in agreement. Yeah. I'm not saying we disagree. I, my only disagreement is on the eventuality necessarily. Well, but you didn't make a case for what's the other option because even if people do all of that, 
I think the best option is that some of us get to not be part of the uh, socialist utopia of the United States, which it will be. I don't think that all of us change. I don't think it's possible. Demographics, it's just not possible to change. It's not. I don't know. I think it, I think it is. Maybe. I don't know. One other quick thing about if your kids are in school, if they are in school and you find out that they're teaching any of this SJW ideology, especially if they're teaching something that could be actionable. We, we know of parents who are suing. You, you, you might consider suing it, it, because you can then change, help change what is being taught in schools. And we know a ton of these schools are teaching racism in the curriculum and you can get copies of the curriculum. And if they're talking about white privilege and all this stuff, that's not, there's no basis in science and they're teaching people discrimination and prejudice on the basis of race. Um, and or sex, toxic masculinity, all this stuff. Like it's one thing to do it in culture, but to be teaching your kids that, you could, depending on the curriculum at the school and the policies at the school, you could make a case. So just yeah. keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, you could make a case. But at the very least, you need to just push back. Um, and I don't care. Maybe we should have a talk another day about how it goes any other way. I just, I look at the demographics. I look at where we are. I don't see, I don't see, I, I see a positive outcome. It's just an outcome where the U S is split. It's just not, it's just not all 50 States anymore. I don't see an out. I don't see a positive outcome that that includes everyone, all the States. I just, I don't, there's mm -hmm. too many social justice warriors. There's too many people that accept social justice there's too many people that voted for Bernie, right? You're one of them, right? There's too many. Yeah, rare. but but the Bernie voters are not the Bernie voters are not what you think they are. Well, at the very least, they think socialism is a good idea. No, no, no. That's where you're so sorely mistaken. He calls himself a democrat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You you would be Why shocked vote for Bernie because he was an outsider. My uncle, who's a conservative Republican, no, no, listen to, no, listen to me. He is, he, it doesn't matter what you say he is. I'm talking about the perception of him. You, he and Trump both tapped into this idea of someone who's from the outside, who's against the swamp, who's different, who's a populist. My conservative uncle told me during the primaries, this is someone who's never voted Democrat is it's completely, if you ask him of socialism, ah, oh, screw socialism. He told me he was going to vote for Trump or Bernie, and I, it blew my mind. That was just the first person I heard in the whole election cycle who said that. There were tons. If you look at the flip over, 12% of people who voted for Bernie voted for Trump. That's a huge percentage. Or it, maybe it's 12%. 12% of people who voted for Trump voted for Bernie. Something crazy. like It's, it's, a, it's a crazy number. And it's not because you, if you look at their policies, you'd be like, how can that happen? This is about emotion. This is about everything we've talked about. It has nothing to do with him being a socialist. So if we are thinking that those, I'm sorry, I got fired up all of a sudden. If you're thinking that Bernie people are, everyone who voted for Bernie is like cool with social, no, no, it's not about that. They don't even know. It doesn't even matter what his policies were. They were voting for an idea of someone who's different from every other politician, whether they were right about what that idea was or not. That's why people flip between him and Trump. Well, I still don't see, even if that's true, I still don't see how there's enough people to stop this train completely in the U.S. Okay. I won't argue that because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know I don't, enough about that. All I'm arguing is the Bernie point because I was like, hold up. <laughs> These fine. people... I, right. look, Bernie's an idiot, but that's fine. If even if that's true, even if that's true, it is true. I don't care if it's true. Even if it's true, it doesn't matter. I don't think it's possible. 
And I'm not saying that to be a naysayer. I'm not saying that to be Mr. Pessimist. I'm saying that to be a realist. And the, re the main reason I want to say this because strap in, I want people to strap in and be ready. If your expectations are set where you think like, oh, I'm going to have some uncomfortable conversations and in a couple of elections, we'll be back to small government. Like, no, that is not going to happen. It's going to be painful and you're going to have friction and it's going to be discomfort. It's like lots of discomfort for decades. That's what you're, that's what you're in for. So strap in and get uncomfortable because that's where we're going. It's not, this is, there is no magic diet pill. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic person you can vote for. There's no special law. There's no sentence that if you utter, everyone will nod their heads and suddenly get it. None of this will happen. It is a long, protracted, uncomfortable, shitty culture war. And you should be in it because it's the only way to save Western civilization. And I just, I want to set expectations because my concern is that there's people that are like, oh, we're just, I know we'll get fired up by this one thing. And like, what's the one thing we have to do? And then everything will be great. Like, that's not going to happen. You've got generation upon generation upon generation of little socialists running around. You know, these millennials are going to be in power soon. Some of them already are in power. AOC is the first in a wave. It's not getting, it's, this is not, it's not getting easier. It's, it's going to be tough and it's going to be tough for a while. I will make a distinction, by the way, again, I, again, this is just really important to me that it's totally an aside. AOC is a totally different beast than Bernie. Again, for whatever reason, Bernie viewed him as a Bernie. People viewed Bernie, a certain segment of his voter base viewed him as something not like AOC as something different. And it didn't whatever. matter. It's not relevant to my general point. It doesn't okay, matter. No, but I, it matters. That, anyway, it matters. I know you love Bernie. It's okay. No, no, I, I, it's not just, I love that pop part of the population who wanted something different. And those people are on our side. And I know tons of those people. A lot of them are in walk away. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you need to understand what you're fighting for. I, I get, could they be useful? Sure. But, you know, I just, I want to be left alone. I want small government. That's the side. I'm on the side of let's get government as small as possible. And my ultimate goal is zero. That's the side I'm on. And if you're not on the push government smaller side, you're not on my side. Government needs to be smaller. Culture needs to be more individual and self-reliant. I want rugged individualism in the sense that I've used it. That's what I want. And that's what built America. And that's the only way that we're going to move forward. And not everyone in this country wants that. And I'm not convinced that the Bernie voters want that. They're just well, at least rats pissed off with whatever was going on. No, they just want something different. No, at least 12% of them want that. Okay. I, maybe. But, you know, I, we need to... We need to fight this as a culture war, not a political war. And that's, that's kind of my getting back to what we were saying before. Like, that's the thing that needs to be fought. It's the culture war. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what else to say. There is no magic. There's no silver bullet. So we can talk about solutions to some of these things. When we, talk, when we bring up an issue, we can talk about what the solution is. The solution is boring. It's always the fucking same less government, get out of our lives, leave people the hell alone. It's very simple. It's very simple. Let people be, let people interact voluntarily. That's the solution. The end. 
That's the solution generally. I mean, none of these issues are so complex that the problem people get wound up Everyone buys into the central planning idea. What, the, what should the government do about blah, blah, blah? It's a very complex problem. And if you propose anything, it's like, well, what about these people? What about this? And what about these interests? Yes, the point is it's too fucking complicated. The answer is the government shouldn't do it. That's, I thought of that yesterday because I saw our friend, uh, Mike Harlow, posted about Beto. And the headline of this piece or this, that he posted was about Beto visiting the center, the LGBT center in New York. And he said something like uh, how vote me in so we can uh, work towards full equality together. And I'm like, what I full equality? What's what are you talking about? Because I was under the assumption we're all equal under the law already. This is and I started thinking about it. And this goes to the point of most SJWs I know or, or not even SJWs. Some people on the left who I wouldn't even put in the SJW bubble um, believe that if there are any type of. Uh, obstacles or things, social things that need to be fixed, that it's the job of government to step in. It's not, it's not, I'm sorry. If you, if, if your culture has an issue that is, it, it's not like, let's say, let's say the culture is, um, well, right now, let's look at the trend of what's happening right now. Anti-Christian bias. So there's, there's people who have a prejudice towards Christians. I think that's a problem. I think we need to fix that. I don't think it's the government's job to fix that. <laughs> like, but they, they tend to go to the government for everything. It's like, let, we need things to be totally equal and it's the government needs to come in. There needs to be a law. It's like, no, there don't need to be extra laws. There need to be fewer. And, right, and this is the uncomfortable part about rugged individualism. If you have a problem, it's your fucking problem. That's the uncomfortable part. And that's what you got to get used to. You got a problem? It's yours. It's your fucking problem. You can't ask someone else to point a gun at someone else to fix your problem. It's your problem. That's uncomfortable. That's why communities are great. You can go to community and ask for support and help and you can, you know, maybe you can affect change voluntarily through voluntary interactions with people. But, you know, you're not a, you're not any kind of hero if your solution involves asking the government to point a gun at someone and solve it for you. You're not even a grown-up. I don't know what else to say. I don't know how all this relates to Hong Kong, Carrie. The government is not vanilla ice. Wait, did that just, is that meta on some level that I don't know? <laughs> if you've got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. <laughs> Check out the quality DJ revolves. You don't know, you don't remember vanilla, vanilla ice? I remember Vanilla Ice, but I, I, he had like one hit and I don't remember what it's it was. It's in the one hit. <laughs> if you got a problem, you know, I'll solve it. No. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that line now. Uh, well, that's probably a good way to end the show with Vanilla <laughs> Vanilla Ice. I don't mean to bring people down, Carrie. I know. Like, I'm, let, me do, let me do the positive wrap up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I, what I'm, I don't view what I said as pessimistic. There is hope that we can survive, that the torch of freedom and individual liberty can survive. But we have to realize that like the whole beast isn't going to survive, but the torch can survive somewhere. And we need to be pushing back and, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it can survive everywhere. I don't think so. Either way, the tactic is the same. We need to start pushing back. 
individually in our personal lives. So, Carrie, end on something positive and inspirational that will make people just want to go out and have a great productive day. Um, well, t- speaking of building community, we are getting ready to, we'll be announcing it in a separate video, but um, we're getting ready to launch the book club this week. And we'll be doing a, a, hopefully a book around a book a month. And you can be a part of it and join Unsafe Space Book Club with us. There's a Facebook group already. And then anyway, we'll have more info about it. But I think that'll be fun because then we'll get to have some interaction with people who like the podcast and read some of these books together. And yeah, I think there's, I think there's, me too. Because the other, the other thing is like educate, educate, continue to educate yourself. I'm, I'm, I mean, I had, I had 20 years of just stewing in my SJW ideology. So in the past few years, I've been trying to pack in a lot. And, right. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, being someone who's always autodidacts are the best, right? I mean, if you can, if you can constantly being an, educated yourself, uh, you'll never know everything, but you'll certainly, you'll certainly get better. So, um, and there's a lot of these classics. We won't talk about the first book, but the first book that we want to read is one that I read in high school and I'm like, I haven't read it in forever. And so, uh, I'm excited. So, yeah. All right. On that note, uh, have a good day. We'll see you all later. Have babies. I'm totally leaving that in. <laughs>